It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Greatest rap song of all time, The Message, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Five and Kid Creo, who unfortunately killed a homeless guy. He's going to be spending the rest of his time in jail. But I digress. Uh, I must compliment you, Anthony Weiner, because um, you interviewed a, a young man who wrote this extensive piece for the New York Post, four pages, which is unheard of, four pages, when I... When I saw it going from hero to a life on heroin and then the really tabloid headline, if I start to turn blue, then you call 911. Yeah. Before that, don't do it. About David Gonzalez, you, who you had mentioned, who had been with the FDNY. A great interview with his mother out there on Staten Island who is like trapped because she won't cut all ties with her son. And um, it's one of the few things that I've ever done. You know, you've been in the business. I'm in the business. You have to be able to reach out to editors, to people in charge, particularly when they're slamming you and killing you, yeah. and say, time out. <laughs> I deserve to be heard. I never knew the editor-in-chief of the uh, New York Post, the new one. I knew all the old ones, Keith Poole. And I had his number. And the moment I read that four-page article that Stephen Yang not only wrote, the written word was great, but the photos he put into it, he photographed it too. So he conflated the both. Greatest article I have ever read yep. about the streets and addiction. And you know, that's my life in the streets, crawling into the belly of the beast. So I texted Keith Poole and I said, man, this is the best article I've ever read on the subject. Could you please let uh, Stephen Yang know? This should be taught to all journalists, all yeah. potential journalists and all journalists, because he spent the time, and the Post obviously allowed him the time and the space to really breathe life into this. All these people that we see out here that I know, you know, this is my forte. I know the emotionally disturbed. I know the junkies. I know the dealers. But they all have stories. You just have to, you got to spend a little time. You got to peel back the veneer and know that they're all human beings, they all have mothers and fathers, they all have lives, some of which uh, they've thrown away, but they're not discardable. They're not like uh, an aluminum can that you would just toss away. And also, you know, the story, one of the things that I found gripping about it is it kind of touched on a lot of things. It it, it had this brief period where e EMTs were called because this guy that he's following you know, keels over and basically lies in this catatonic state. Like we've all seen people on the street. We walk by them every day. And this reporter doesn't quite know what to do. And like you refer to it, you know, his this guy, David, says, well, only only call someone if I turn blue. But these EMTs show up and they tell this riveting couple of paragraphs about how EMTs try to figure out if someone, whether it's safe to leave them. And they say to this guy, David, we're going to say, all right, I'm, we're going to tell you a number and we want you to repeat it back to us whenever we ask for it. And they talk to him for a couple of minutes to make sure he can remember the number seven. And then to have it finished with this guy's mom, anyone, and you have plenty of experience with this, I have experience with this, the family members that get ravaged at the same time as the addict and all of these things. But in typical New York Post fashion, not to take a positive and make a negative, then there's some guy who writes after the story and says, oh, yeah, what did we learn from the story that the liberals – didn't let the guy stay, wanted the guy to be able to stay at this transitional housing. We only have to check in every three days where you have to explain to me and to our listeners why these places that you have to check in daily, a lot of homeless people don't go to because they don't want to go there every single day. They sometimes just want to go there every couple of days to have a place to sleep in. Then they, they it, this isn't a liberal conservative policy thing. You may be really upset about, about the shoplifting, and, and that's, I think, the way Stephen, you know, it, this turned out to be a fascinating story about shoplifting <laughs> on top of everything Absolutely. else. But you crawl into the belly of the beast without getting burnt. You actually can feel it, smell it, touch it. The words are so powerful. The pictures that he's conflated with it. 
Uh, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, when I'm telling you, and you've seen this uh, for a fact, Anthony, I'm a newspaper collector. I'm a clutterer. I love to read newspapers from it. I've never read an article. That was a real. It was really great. I'm gl- glad he was able. To, he was able to join us and um, and listen. It's it's a nuanced kind of thing because there's no doubt about it. You, you know, I'm not. And and this is where it strikes really close to home. If an addict is in is in his addiction, and doesn't want to be out of it, this is their life. There's not very much their mom can do. There's not very much a cop can do. There's not very much a storekeeper can do. That guy is going to go out and he's going to find a way to get his fix. He's going to find the cheapest way to do it. He's going to find a way to live. Um, and it's it's just ravaging our society, but it's not an easy fix. It's not something, okay, just, ra- just, just arrest him and throw away the key. We learned in this story they get pretty good at avoiding arrest, and when they do get arrested – they know that it's just not practical that every single one of them is going to be thrown into a the prison. The description event. of the envelopes, how to get a deal in buying heroin by purchasing more, just like in wholesale and retail, how he took a rearview mirror on a car so he could see his neck so he could find a usable vein. I see this all the time. Injecting himself right into his neck. I see it all the time. This is the best description of yeah. it. And the after effects. So, ladies and gentlemen, regardless of your politics, you could be liberal, progressive, you could be conservative, you could be uh, middle of the road, or you could be apolitical. You got to get, you got to go online and get this article. Going from hell to a life on heroin, because if you've never experienced this, because most people never do, uh, from the street point of view, this is so graphic. And just and just to make easy, it's the the author's name is Stephen Yang, Stephen with a Ph. Uh, and the headline of the story is uh, FDNY firefighter turned drug addict tragically reveals the crisis on our streets. And that we didn't even touch upon in the interview. The guy was he was an EMS. He 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 found it to be a, a a great job. He really enjoyed it and started to take oxy. And before you know it, um, he was given an ultimatum. They had because they were drug testing after September 11th. And he lost that job and now has been on the street ever since. And so it, it is a great story. I'm, um, and you I'm know glad. which pictures really moved me in addition to his mother? Because you really right. could feel for his mother. She like a saint. Him with his child, meaning yeah. David Gonzalez with his child, which obviously he doesn't have access any longer. Uh, the mother of his child was also an addict, but she had enough. She just couldn't deal with it, took the child away. You look at these pictures and you say, boy, this guy had a normal life. Yep. There, by the grace of God, could go any of us. That's 100% the case. And this this idea that sometimes you can you can kind of paint this portrait of who we think a drug addict is, uh-uh. I mean, I, I bet you if, you if you walk into church tomorrow, you look around, probably if you look to your left, look to your right, it's someone who has, has addiction in their family just like I had in mine. I, you know, I take the time to talk to street people, to the junkies, to the dealers, and I, I get to know them personally. And I get to be able, because I'm street smart, figure out what they're pulling my chain and when they're tough. The extraordinary depth of different backgrounds, where they came from, why they're in the situation that they are, and how they can't crawl out of this belly of the beast. I really applaud you, Anthony. And before we get into, obviously, all the Supreme Court decisions, I wanted to touch on, while I was reading the Post, I saw the article uh, that you're back uh, on Twitter and you're getting uh, pros and cons on that. that. Look, that's pretty bold of you to throw it out there and say, hey, what do you think, people? What do you think? Well, it was a way, I mean, look, I, I did a Twitter poll and I explained that Stefan here does social media, helped me with it, and I didn't look at the responses myself because I need to keep an arm's distance from this. This is the this is the pit of death for me. But um, what I basically said, I would put it out there, any advice for coming back, and the three choices I said is, one, just update your Twitter bio, tell them about the middle, tell them about the left versus right, and then just leave it alone. Second, I said, act like the second choice people could vote for is just act like nothing happened. <laughs> you know, that's sometimes what celebrities do when they come back from crisis. Right, right. And the third was just don't. And as I expected, about 10,000 people voted. Two-thirds of them said just don't come back to Twitter. Some people said because they don't like me. Some people because they don't like Twitter. Some people because they just thought that was the snarky thing to say. Hey, I, social media, I'm going to tell you, my man, it is not for me. It was a source of my downfall. It is something that's still I got PTSD around it. But if you want to promote a radio show in the year 2022, that's the way you do it. Um, but, yes, I'm, I'm back on Twitter. At Rep Wiener is, uh, is, is what the address is there. Well, I like that because it was transparent. It's not like you came to a private decision. You threw it out to all the people, friends, foes, or people who weren't quite sure. 
The only one I didn't see respond was Elon Musk, who is now the owner of Twitter. <laughs> uh, he didn't seem to weigh in one way or the other. I don't know. Yeah. But let me tweet out to Clarence Thomas. Shut up. I am just bowled over at all these U.S. Supreme Court justices now who all seem like they gotta they got to have their own bully pulpit. They comment on everything. It used to be we never knew these guys and gals. You know, they were, we'll wait for their decisions. Now they not only give their decisions, they extrapolate on it. So the decision comes down, obviously, Roe v. Wade out the door. It goes back to the states. And then I'm looking, and Clarence Thomas is saying, hey, this is just the first of other things to come. We got to take a look at gay and lesbian marriage. We got to take a look at contraception between married couples. I'm telling you, I am not going back to the days in the 60s when I went into the local drugstore and I said, psst, could I have some rubbers? And all of a sudden the pharmacist looked around because, God forbid, my mother ever found out about this. And he put him in a little paper bag, remember, that was underneath the <laughs> counter. And he pa- This is rubbers. This is condoms. If he wants to roll this back between married couples, we might not have access to condoms. He's lost his mind. Well, he said, and, and just let's remember what the legal underpinning is. It's because Alito and his decision that says that the due process clause of the 14th Amendment on which the right to abortion sat, I, I think that was the wrong place to put it. It should be under the, the equal protection part of the 14th Amendment. But putting that aside, he says that anything that historically didn't exist at that time – you and I, we can sit down here with a pen and paper, come up with 50 things that are rights that people have that emerged since the 1800s when the 14th Amendment was passed. And he, it's funny, Alito said, don't worry, we're not going to touch those. And then you're right. Thomas comes out and says, wait a minute, what do you mean? Don't speak for me. And, and well, sooner or later, I might have the votes to go back and revisit all of those things. And so this might just be the tip of the iceberg. So, so what did they do in 1790? What was their form of contraception? Oh, that's right. We got to go back to the rhythm system. Is he out of his freaking mind? Well, I think they only invented sex in the 1920s. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's the problem with all of this thinking. This this whole notion of originalism, you know, it just doesn't doesn't fit. You know, I was going to ask you, there was also the gun case that came down, the, the Bruin case that came down that says you've got to look at the historical traditions. Well, was there a historical tradition around banning guns on planes? They didn't have planes. Before you get to that, I'm holding Justice Clarence Thomas responsible. Now it's all coming back to me because I have this soft concussion. It <laughs> constantly comes back. The young lady was holding a sign right there on Park Avenue as I'm working the crowd. And this is way I could talk about it last night in the overnights, 12 to 6. And she inadvertently turned it around. It said, F you. Clarence Thomas, I got hit in the head. I was like not, I didn't know where I was for a long time. I was on autopilot. Now it's all come to me. I got two reasons to be angry. (laughs) And when I read that about Clarence Thomas, I said, look, okay, you made a decision. Uh, I would have preferred what uh, Chief Justice Roberts was saying. Hey, let's just affirm the Mississippi law. 15 weeks, okay? In Europe, most countries, it's 22 weeks. Okay, let's just affirm the Mississippi law, which also, I think, allows for um, abortion in the case of incest or rape or uh, all of a sudden the the potential threat to the uh, woman's uh, health, the mother's health. I got it. No. Okay, so they decided that's it. Roe v. Wade goes back to the state. Okay. And then Clarence Thomas weighs in with this read. Ridiculous notion that, oh, this is the green light to maybe roll back all of these other decisions. How do you roll back gay and lesbian marriage? Well, if you get enough votes for this notion of originalism, I mean, this is the problem that we have. And I talked about it on the middle an hour ago, is that you have these three new justices that came on that said, never mind this 50 years of precedent. We were hired to come here and do a thing. We're going to go do it. That's new for the court. It's not that, that they never went and reviewed old decisions. I mean, Alito talks about, you know, they, 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 there are decisions that, that held that separate but equal was equal. And obviously that was an embarrassing decision. They went back and they fixed it. But this is new people on the court 
going and saying a decision that was decided 50 years ago they don't like, and so they're going to flip it over. So you say, how can Thomas have his way? Well, if there are two more justices and they decide that they want to go even further, there's no longer a constitutional right to abortion. So what, what, what you, you know, know, this all happened when Bork sat there and was honest. He had a discourse back and forth. He let everything go, and he paid the price. He lost an opportunity to become a U.S. Supreme Court justice. I think the guy before him was Ginsburg, who was yeah, smoking was Mar- uh, yeah, marijuana. Smoking marijuana. Exactly. That's it. He was gone. Nowadays, uh, he'd be the uh, chief justice of the United States Supreme Court. But the point is, Bork was honest. You could agree with him, disagree with him. Remember those spirited debates that they had. And he let it all hang out. And then ever since then, it's a beauty contest where you don't say anything. They sat with Collins, they sat with Manchin, and they said, it's settled law, don't worry about it, Roe v. Wade. Said they said it publicly pretty much in the conversation. What the hell happened? Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. You know, they acted, now these guys that get on the Supreme Court, they act a little bit like politicians running for office. They are. They say what they think the audience wants to hear. They say that they basically try to put as much of a gloss on everything as possible to get as many people to vote for them as possible. And then when they get in, you learn a little bit about what they really believe. Without Collins coming before in the well of the Senate and giving that impassioned speech why she was going to cast her vote for Kavanaugh. He would not have become the United well, States. Yeah, but that's right. But now, but Collins and Manchin, I think they doth protest too much now. Why? Because it was clear in these people's records, all three of the new uh, the new justices, that these guys were against. They 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 had written a sense of member. They had a, they were campaigning to get this for the longest time. The, the Federalist Society, which submitted this list that Donald Trump took and rubber stamped had vetted them to make sure that they were anti-choice. So it's not like people didn't know. Somehow the other the other 50, the other 48 senators somehow knew that these guys were going to overturn Roe v. Wade. To say that, oh, they lied to me. Of course they lied. They lied to us, the citizens. Of course they I did, but you the knew it at the time. I realized that Kavanaugh was getting jacked up unfairly, but I was listening to what he was saying about the issues not about his personal life and his accuser who couldn't even remember the location. But why did you why did you think he was chosen, nominated? He was nominated. Remember how this came to be. That Donald Trump, one of his greatest accomplishments in the eyes of conservatives, was never mind that he threw out the conservative playbook on economics, never mind that he threw out the conservative playbook in terms of like moral issues. He stuck with them the thing that they cared about the most and give them credit. Give I, the right credit. I will bet you. That Donald Trump down in Mar-a-Lago uh, probably called Roe v. Wade uh, reversal uh, good. You know, obviously it's God's will. But then privately muttered to himself, this is bad for the party. A hundred percent. This is bad for the party. This was his price. This was what he did to get the religious right. They said, I will give you your judges. And to his credit, and to this is to the, to the detriment of the left, we never took it this seriously. He didn't give us Clarence Thomas. That's Bush 41. Uh, I thought that, no, that, way, no, Thomas was Reagan, I think. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure that's Bush 41. Please check back there. If I am incorrect, I'll be more than happy to apologize. That was the whole, the whole case with the Coke can and everything else. That yeah. was under By the Reagan. way, uh, yeah. Mr. Perv there at Yale University, Mr. Long Dong Silver. Yeah, we forget. Now, all of a sudden, he's uh, his his stuff is pure. <laughs> no, no condoms, no contraceptions. Is he a Neanderthal? Is he living in the Stone Age? All he said is we got to go back and review all those things that weren't in the constitu- that weren't in the original text of the Constitution. Without getting too personal about him and his wife, because his wife is constantly getting hammered, you know, by January sixth committee, which right. I feel is unfair. But they don't have that many kids, right? I, I don't know. Actually. I don't know the circumstances of why they don't have that many kids. But I would bet you the over under point spread. Suggests that they may have used contraceptives. You think there's a little bit of a hypocrisy there? Uh, you know, I was having a pretty good day. Visualizing Clarence Thomas having sex is not where I want to go That's with my Saturday Don afternoon. Silver. Don't you remember? I, I, well, I have to clean the microphone off. That's what he was known for at Yale Law School. Yep. He yep. was like, he was Bob Guccione. It was Bush, by the way. Thank you, Bush 41. You were right. So don't blame this one on Trump, please. This Clarence Thomas, he stands alone. He stands alone on this one. <laughs> but when we come back, we'll get into the whole gun issue. Because obviously uh, there were things there that are very pertinent here in New York. And, Tom, think, and Thomas wrote that decision. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think Roe v. Wade is really going to affect people here in New York. But definitely this gun decision 
of concealed carry. Definitely will. Left versus right. Well, it's not always left. It's not always right. That's what's unique about Anthony Weiner with Curtis Lee. right here exclusively on WABC. My brother's doing fast on my mother's TV. Says she watches too much. It's just not healthy. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Oh, yeah. Do it. All right, I like these selections, Anthony Weiner. You, you got to give it up for Rich. I, I'm not involved in any of this. It's hot. It's schmitzing outside. People are going to get their electricity bill for their air conditioning. They're going to have to take a reverse mortgage or get a payday loan. So it's great to have this music. I forgot one thing. we got to get out of the way. Something very unique here as we go into Pride uh, weekend, the Pride Parade tomorrow. I am Michael Mbadichich, Rudy Giuliani, and we'll discuss how we've been campaigning for Andrew, his son, later on to be the Republican candidate. We have one unique thing in common in addition to all the law and order things. He conducted a gay marriage when he was mayor, and long before he even thought of that, I conducted what many people think is the first official gay marriage back in 1976 in the South Bronx in a housing project in Soundview for my closer. I was the night manager of Mickey D's at the time. Ralphie came to me. He said, I'd like to marry Vinny. We've been together for years. We have nobody to do the ceremony. Would you be kind enough to do it? I said, certainly, not a problem. And then this uh, other closer of mine, who I had no idea was gay, young Italian guy, went on to become a successful actor, a B-grade player in The Sopranos, he writes his memoirs. It comes out in 2011. Big Huffington Post piece. I'm working at AM 970, The Answer, the Holy Roller Station. Four years, I'll never get back. Four <laughs> years. And the guy, Stu Epperson, who owns it, Big Holy Roller, calls me in. You did a gay wedding? I said, Stu, what are you worried about? You don't have to marry a gay guy, right? If some gay guy comes up to you and says he'd like to marry you, just say no. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. He went ballistic. I said, if you want to fire me, fire me. But I did it, and if asked, I'd do it again. And then Rudy, we were comparing notes. He did a gay wedding when he was mayor in the city of New York. A lot of people don't realize that. We were ahead of the curve because even Democrats and uh, liberals at that time were saying to gays and lesbians, be happy with domestic partnership. Don't rock the boat. Don't, 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 don't push gay marriage. And he had a, Rudy had a gay trans, a transition commissioner, Chris Lynn. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. And not only that, remember, when Rudy had his own personal problems, uh, and he, Coppell. He, that's right. He had to go to Coppell, the car owner, who was a openly gay right, guy, very right. successful. Rudy, you know, a lot of people, they immediately, you know, they slot him into this far right wing, you know, uh, um, a holy roller type. Oh, no. Oh, no. He and I, we have a lot in common. A lot of things you would never, ever anticipate uh, that we have in common. So I just wanted to. Now, tell me a little bit, on that. Tell, you, you, you mentioned this in, in passing. How is that Republican primary going for his son? Well, it's real close. Um, I happen to have gone up to Rochester because that's what it's become. It's no longer Rochester. I remember going there as a kid, Kodak. It was a white-collar area right, because right. young men and women would go to RIT, right there, Rochester Institute of Technology, and they'd be fed right into Kodak, Xerox, Paycheck. IBM was up there. Really, yeah, everyone. And, boy, it has hit hard times. It's now number one in the state for carjacking, number one per capita in murders. The place is abandoned, problems galore, no jobs. Uh, but the Kodak Center hosted the debate. Newsmax was kind enough to have all four candidates, final Republican debate, first debate in which Andrew could actually be on the stage right, with right. the others where he wasn't in the Hollywood Squares box. And, you know, they were going at each other uh, at first just on the issues. And then in the end, Zeldin had what I can only describe as a meltdown. Uh, the crowd, you know, the crowd was equally divided amongst all four, Asherino, Harry Wilson, uh, Andrew. Andrew had the Trumpers, and Zeldin had the traditional Republicans, the uh, county leaders and their followers. But in the end, Eric Bowling asked a single question. If, gentlemen, you should happen to lose on uh, Tuesday night, uh, will you support the winner of the primary? 
Okay, Ashtarino hits it out of the box. Wilson out of the box. Uh, Andrew, of course, out of the box. And then Zeldin goes on this long two-minute diatribe where even the audience is screaming at him. Some of his own followers answer the question. He was like, well, well, maybe. He was. I got to tell you, you know, I've been watching these debates. He, I, he is the one that's underwhelmed me the most in how easily rattled he gets. Yeah. He gets so defensive. He doesn't understand. He, if I was watching and I just landed from another another planet, I would assume he's at 3% because, and he's just desperate to whatever and he's furious that he's not getting any traction. He did not act, He's not acting like a frontrunner. He's not acting like he's not acting like a leader. First, it was Harry Wilson that was pissing off. Then it was everybody. Then it was just like <laughs> beefing at everybody. Then he's beefing at the questioner. And, and I mean, it's just. And the audience, when the audience turned, that was his audience. Well, I tell you another thing. Rob Astorino, and I don't know how well he's going to do, he smiles when he's up there. Yes. He seems comfortable. He seems like he's Even Andrew, who I think, for the considering how inexperienced he is relative to the rest of them, does a pretty good job of getting off his lines, keeping his body language yes. positive and everything else. Harry Wilson, a little trying to do a bit too much up there, but he, too, is acting like, you know, like – and Zeldin, and I, I mean, I assume the polls might be correct that he's going to win, but I got to tell you something. He is, he just melts down in these environments. It's so strange. It's like he's, he's kind of like he's not used to kind of being in the, the mixing it up part of the job, which I got to tell you, if you're going to win as a Republican in statewide blue New York, you got to get comfortable in your own skin and kind of dealing with these jousting matches. They're going to be every and, day when you're governor. And if he should win Tuesday, and we'll all support him. We've all made that vow, no matter how hard we're working against him. You can't do that to Kathy Hochul. The last guy to learn that was Rick Lazio, Lazio sure. who walks over on the podium and, remember, gave Hillary as he was running in the Senate race against a substitute for Rudy who had the prostate cancer, and he was out. That would have been a great heavyweight battle, but Rudy had to bow out. And that was it after that. He, he came on. He cannot go crazy on Hochul on that stage, not in this environment, and she is primed for that. So he has to have a handler who, like, comes in. They got to give him... I really think Prozac before he goes in that uh, debate. But I and I this is I don't think you learn much from the answers to these questions. What you do learn is you sense someone's body language. You try to try them on for size. You say, okay, for four years, I'm going to watch him be my governor, be at press conferences, answer questions, panic, you know, during, you know, make bets with other governors when there are times of panic to calm us all down. Can I visualize Zeldin for four years holding it together? And during these debates, he's failed that test. I mean, I'm not saying that he won't be a good candidate going forward, or maybe he's learning as he goes, but he seems too easily rattled, too beefy, too kind of, you know, one of the things when, when I ran for mayor in 2005 and I was running fourth and whatever it is, I saw that the, the, the debates were an opportunity for me to show them, to get them visualized what kind. And I was trying to like this, this Koch kind of ethos, yes. saying what I thought, because I, I mean, if I lost, it wasn't the, big, the end of the world. And... I wanted doing very well in these debates because I was just relaxed. Once I was, this is a story that I haven't told frequently, but once I, on uh, the second debate, or it might have been the first one, I had a kidney stone two days before. I was at Parkside Hospital, Parkway Hospital. Yeah. Parkway Hospital. And I had a kidney stone. They're very, very painful. And oh, I, yeah. So they, it, they just said, listen, all we can really do is we can give you a little bit of morphine and just lie here on this gurney until it passes. When I took the stage, I still had a little of that in my system. I have never debated better. They asked me a question, would you ever do would you ever be willing to do an act of civil disobedience where you'd be willing to get arrested? I said, I'm gonna be the mayor. If my police commissioner arrests me, I'm a firearm. You know, so I was like completely relaxed. He is Zeldin is the opposite. Well you know what this is? If you followed horse racing or boxing, a fighter gets into the ring, he's sweating too much, you know he's overactive. If he doesn't right. knock that other guy out in the first round, he's going to collapse. He's, he's not going to have the energy to finish the fight. Likewise, when they, they parade the thoroughbreds around before they actually go for the start of the rest, if the horse is sweating too much, it's too energized, it's too nervous, that's Zeldin. His right. eyeballs are bulging out. He, he's like looking at everybody. He's like, and he has nobody who is handling him. Like remember the famous thing, Rocky Balboa, right, Stallone. Well, hey, Rocky, you're not going in there with, 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 with Mr. T. He'll kill you. He's got nobody to tell him that. And, you know, 
if he's ahead in the polls, all he'd have to be is cool, calm, and collected and deflect and deflect. He doesn't know how to do but that. But Zeldin is the inside guy. Why doesn't he have the best that the Republican well, Party has to offer? New, or is that the problem? This that, is the backstory. The uh, chairman of the uh, GOP, who should be very busy with all these elections here assembly, right? And the, there could be a red wave here because they redrew the district lines. Langworthy has opted out to run for congressional seat right. uh, in Western New York, Buffalo, against Carl Palladino. Nobody has seen this guy. So I'm looking all through the crowd because I know all the big mockers in the Republican Party. They all turned against me. Uh, I'm looking in the audience. Not one of them showed. Langworthy is an hour away in Buffalo. Yeah, I heard that question. I mean, they asked them all, do you think he should re- step down? And I think only Zeldin said, I guess Zeldin's getting his support. So Zeldin said, don't. Well, let me Everyone tell you, something. you know, Rudy. He settles all scores. Mm-hmm. If his son wins with my help, Rudy's help, and the other voters' help, that's it for Langworthy. Uh, he better look for a job hanging wallpaper because if he loses against Carl pa- Palladino in the uh, primary, uh, he's not going to be state uh, state GOP chair. Well, here's here's my vote, my betting interest here as a Democrat. I want Andrew to win because I think he's the the weakest of the four candidates in terms of a general election because of. Whatever positive Rudy's name brings in the primary, hanging around him in a blue state like New York. And Zeldin is a close second because I think he'd be a weak candidate just because he's not a great candidate. You know, he's not that good at his job. Well, it's uh, a race. The first tier has Zeldin and Andrew Giuliani neck and neck. Astorino and Wilson doing very well in that second tier. It's a jump ball. It really is. That's all why turnout. These, so these all turnout. La- that's right. These last 72 hours. And you know primaries are low turnout. So that's why there's the push. You have Andrew trying to get the Trumpers, Zeldin trying to get the traditional GLP. Whoever can get out their vote, you know we'll all yep. rally around them on uh, Tuesday night. And then it's on to take out Kathy Hochul. Anyway, up next, gun control. you got to explain to me, Kathy Hochul, the governor... Where she's been before, where she is now. She's talking about muskets. Uh, I'm confused. Help well, me out here. I, I, I just hope you didn't come to the studio packing today now that you're able to. No, no, but my wife is. My wife wants a carry permit. As soon as she heard that, she wants a carry permit. I will not carry till the day I die. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Oh, yeah. This is a mood elevator. My partial concussion has almost gone away. I got hit with that Clarence Thomas sign last night. It's all coming back to me. I'm I'm such a rage. <laughs> but anyway, Anthony Weiner, let's talk about guns, because that was the first Supreme Court issue that really fired people up. They decided on behalf of two New Yorkers who were denied a carry permit because they didn't have a personal enough reason to qualify, that that was a specious uh, denial for them, and that uh, if you jump through hoops... Uh, you should be able basically the way I interpret it, if if you could qualify for a premise license, because you have to jump through uh, hoops in order to get that with your local police department to have a gun in your place of business or your home. Uh, it, sh- it shouldn't preclude you from then also being being able to get a carry license. Uh, and obviously, uh, every elected official in New York who is a Democrat acted like. This was like uh, all of a sudden, as the mayor pointed out, Eric Adams, the wild, wild west. That's what we're living in now without people carrying uh, concealed weapons. Yeah. The, so the decision was a mess because what it said is the, the historical context of the word bear is what Thomas argued, said to carry it with you when you go out of your home. 
and he said that there was no textual difference between home and outside back in the day. The only problem with all of that is it leaves us nowhere in terms of figuring out, okay, well, what regulations are you allowed to have? And so in the decision, for example, they say you can have, you can limit special places that you want to limit guns. And they even mentioned in the decision the possibility of a legislature saying, well, you can have restrictions around polling places. Well, New York City, you can't shake a dead cat with a hidden polling place. At election time, it's like every three blocks. Right. So they didn't really offer – it was a really poorly written decision because it left us really nowhere. But for years now, Thomas has been eager to get this Second Amendment stuff loosened up. It's not just New York, by the way. It's about 20 percent of the population of the country, including California, Hawaii, other states. It, I think it's a, both more than meets the eye and less than meets the eye, and I'll tell you what I mean. First of all, it's less than meets the eye, and it, it, we can still pass laws – they might get challenged to say, oh, you can carry them, but you can't bring it into a subway, for example. And then where does that leave you? What if you go out of your house, you can't take the subway, you can only drive. We can re- we can still have restrictions, and there's still going to be crime in the street and still people have guns. One of the groups of people that seem to like this decision are defense attorneys because a lot of times they're, ha- they're having clients who are being caught with guns that are legal who are then having the book thrown out them because they had them concealed. Yeah. So a lot of defense attorneys are like, that's BS. Uh, you know, you want to say you're not allowed to have a gun. That's one thing. But just because he had it in his backpack should not be a reason for additional sanctions. I think there's too many guns. I think it's reasonable for legislatures to want to kind of get that under control. I also think it's another example of the Supreme Court going out of their way to blow up precedent. Remember, the Heller decision was only 10 years ago, which basically left in place um, rules like New York has. I don't think it's the end of the world, but it's certainly going to make things more difficult. You know what I'm interested in hearing what? Law enforcement officials have to say because they don't want to have more guys out there. Like, what if they went and what if you went to your demonstration last night where that woman assaulted you with her sign? Well, she didn't assault me. I know. She inadvertently turned. Well, you don't really remember any of it. You have a concussion you've had since the 1970s. Exactly. But imagine if they're in that crowd and it's getting tense and they're abortion rights people fighting, pro life people, not fighting, but like just, and people start showing up with handguns on their waist. I can't imagine if you're in law enforcement that that's a good thing. We've seen that, remember, in Louisville. Of course. Okay, uh, in the aftermath of Breonna Taylor, remember being killed by the Louisville cops in no-knock warrant. Uh, We saw both sides because you can carry there with rifles. We saw uh, black militia, white militia guys. Nobody got shot. Although there was one time a black guy shot himself in Burnley. But other than that, I think there's a little too too much fear. I'll, I'll give you an idea. When I was shot on June 19, 1992, five times with hollow-point bullets by the Gottis and Gambinos, the NYPD came to me and said, we can procure for you a concealed permit because we can't protect you. These guys are coming back for you. We can't protect you. I said, I'm the leader of an uh, international organization. We don't carry weapons. How hypocritical. But you take somebody like my wife who goes to Pennsylvania to visit her mother, and she likes to fire off her AK-47. She's Annie Oakley, Second Amendment. First thing she did when she heard this decision, text me, I'm applying <laughs> for a concealed permit. I, 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 I don't want a gun, but I don't want to deny people who can legally carry a gun to have a gun, especially knowing how things are and how corrupt the process is at one police plaza. Look at all the bribes that have taken place by the rich and the wealthy, the well-heeled to get their licenses. There have been major cases. Cops have gone to jail because of that. I don't trust one police plaza handing out these uh, these licenses. Yeah, I mean, this is the, this came up in the Supreme Court debate on this and in the decision, this notion, well, there are states that are shall issue states, meaning that you make the requirements for a person, and if you check them off, they're not subjective, they're objective, you check them off. Like, for example, if you want to say certain jobs, or, okay, tell us what that list of jobs are, right. and we'll – just so everyone has – so there's not the situation that you talk that if you're rich and famous, you can get a, a, a gun permit and other people can't. Reverence. I, Reverence I, have guns. It, it was not a, a perfect system, but for 115 some odd years, I don't know what the urgency was on the part of the court to go throw this out. And especially since Heller has not been on the books for very long, which had this two-part test, which says that, you know, there's some groups of people that you can just restrict, felons, people who are emotionally disturbed, things like that. There are some types of weapons you can just throw out immediately, like bazookas and whatever else. And then is there a reasonable justification for the state to to limit the other ones? That test was not perfect, but it was working okay. And then the Supreme Court rushed in less than 10 years later to throw that out. So 
I I don't think it's the end of the world, but I think it's another case that the Supreme Court is taking things that had been enshrined that were working, relatively speaking, and threw them out for no real apparent reason. So you you would believe just throw it back to the states. Like we can go to Phoenix right now and uh, looking at the blue plate special at 4 o'clock, all the altacacas are strapped with 44 magnums, not concealed, carrying it and showing it. Uh, and obviously Arizona has made a decision that they can do that. So you're basically saying it should be up to the states. No, I mean, if it were up to me, that Heller was wrongly decided that there's not an individual right to own a gun that was for well-regulated militia under the Constitution as it's written. People who really talk about being originalists, they forget that part. It says, you know, a well-regulated militia being necessary, ba ba ba. <laughs> a right shall not be abridged to write to, to hold and bear, bear arms. I think what you were talking about earlier about Kathy Hochul, she was making the point about how absurd this historical reference is that these originalist justices keep making. Because she says you can't go to the originalist thing when these types of weapons were not as deadly. We didn't have as many gun crimes. We didn't have as many murders. We didn't have as many mass shootings. We didn't have semi-automatic or automatic weapons. She's saying at the time we had muskets. So if you, you know, she was making fun of this originalist ah, argument. But slowly I turn step by step. How quickly Kathy Hochul forgets. Candidate Kathy Hochul, Democrat, running in a, for a congressional seat in the Buffalo, Western New York area against the Republican Collins, not only got the NRA endorsement, she signed on to say, I will vote to allow the residents of Washington, D.C. to have concealed carry permits. It's Kathy Hochul, 2014. It's, what, eight years later, and all of a sudden... A lifetime. A lifetime. Yeah, all of a sudden she wants to take everybody's guns and melt it down in the local foundry. Correct. She now, That's why I she say... Now, she now works for all the people of the state of New York. I would rather she had it right at the begin with. She's got it kind of right now. But I got it. Don't accept this ex- explanation from Mayor Adams and from Governor Hochul that, all right, it's now the Supreme Court's fault that we have a lot of crime. It's still their job to get oh, this absolutely. under control. And by the way, let me just give you... You're in Westchester County. You have a legal permit to carry. You're at McLean Avenue. You're in a nice restaurant. And you say, hey, you know, I'm going to go in a woodlawn, little Dublin there on the Bronx side. Do you know you get arrested if you have that legal licensed handgun from Westchester and you come into the five boroughs of New York? That's wrong. Why? Why is that wrong? Well, that's the way it is. Let No, I believe that that's the way it should be. I believe the city should be able to make its own criminal laws. Oh, yeah. So the criminals can go back and forth with their guns, but law-abiding No, no, folks- I'm, saying it, I'm saying that, that you can do whatever you want, but you're violating that. Why, why is the state line so, so, um, so sacred but not a county line or a city line? Yeah, we have different laws in different cities all the time. Where are you more likely to get mugged, in Westchester or the Bronx? It depends if I'm packing or not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I would say they're hedging their bet. But anyway... Uh, I think when all is said and done, because you know how the legislators will operate, you will have the right to get a uh, license to uh, conceal, but probably only in the driveway of your house when you're actually going to your car, and then anywhere else you'll be restricted. A sensitive location is going to be Vito's Vito's (laughs) Pizzeria on the corner. It's a sensitive location. I don't know. Well, I don't know what they're going to wind up doing, and, and I think there's. I, I guarantee you this. This Thomas decision is written so poorly; it's inviting new, new um, cases on just what constitutes a historically right uh, gun regulation. When, like I've mentioned, there just there really isn't a lot of precedent to really look at. You've got to go back and kind of search old newspaper clippings to see if people were carrying guns on the street or not. I'm not hey, really no, sure. It doesn't matter. My wife, Nancy, she wants that concealed permit. She, she's like, come on, let me apply for the concealed permit. You know, after a while, I may just capitulate. I, mean, I may give in. I'm just saying concealed would be a step up from where you usually are with her brandishing <laughs> it around the house. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, up next, we have to predict, because, you know, at Gay Pride Parade tomorrow, there will probably be a super tremendous turnout because of that horror, the carnage. It took place over in Norway where this guy goes in and he shoots and kills gay, lesbian people and injures others. So I would assume there even be more of a turnout. But the question is, will the mayor march? This has been the same decision that a mayor in San Francisco and Denver had to make because in the last two years, their uniformed police officers were told by the host agency sponsoring the parade, 
no uniforms, no marching in the parade. And the mayors have pretty much said, then don't expect us to be there. Your prediction's up next, Anthony Weiner, right here on your place to be, WABC. If you missed any of the broadcasts, especially Anthony's solo broadcast in the middle, you just go to WABCradio.com to get the podcast. The left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Right beat, right beat for pride, the parade. You will see humongous 18-wheel tractor trailers. With the biggest speakers, woofers, and tweeters you've seen since uh, Labor Day Parade, West Indian Day Parade, where those same tractor trailers and boom boxes will be utilized. You know who's you know who's a big deal at the Gay Pride Parade? Any politician named Wiener. It's yeah, a that's big true. deal. It's uh, a that, big that, deal. You, oh my goodness gracious! You flourished in that. I loved it. I had my my feather boa that I wore. I was yeah. I mean, I I wasn't popular with everyone, but I. I did well in that community. They were very kind to me all the years. Well, now, uh, there'll be a huge turnout tomorrow for the very issues that I mentioned. The uh, killing uh, of the gays and lesbians in uh, Norway. Obviously, the fear that gays and lesbians uh, and in their community have of Clarence Thomas actually being, being right. able to do what he, he said he'd like to do. Transgender rights being under attack. Yeah, this is a very busy, busy and animating time. We have our mayor, Eric Adams, who has chosen some of his clergy advisors, former elected officials and clergy who have been homophobic. And so recently in Gay Pride, the parade in Park Slope, he got booed. So now what does he do? Because we had three parades last year in key cities uh, across uh, America. You had Denver Pride. You had San Francisco Pride, the really big one. And you had New York Pride. All three of the sponsoring organizations said police officers specifically cannot wear their uniforms while marching. You know, if you're providing security on the out, uh, outset, you know, the periphery of the parade, that's that's your job. And if you had to put into words why they have that uh, that restriction, what would you say? Like, oh, how do they adjust Clearly the they've said because uh, police officers have been uh, oppressive of the community over the years. And yet, I'm saying to myself, you know how long it took them to get the right to be able to wear their uniforms, gays, lesbians, transgenders, to be able to march in that parade? But anyway, that was decided. And so, to his credit, uh, Mayor de Blasio last year said, you know, I march every year. I'm not marching unless you let the police officers march. And they were, they were at an impasse. So he didn't march. Uh, London Breed, who is the uh, mayor in San Francisco where the community is much larger per per, per person per capita, uh, has said, hey, just like they have their parade, uh, pride parade tomorrow, I said, uh, I'm not marching and let you let uh, let our uh, officers of the San Francisco Police Department march in uniform. So they came up with a last-minute compromise. She will march, but the first contingent will be all uniformed police officers, first responders, and so although they won't... Kind of one of each they're going to have. Right. Right. So she's marching with them. That's a compromise. Denver Pride has said, forget last year. All is forgiven. We welcome police officers right. marching the parade. New York Pride hasn't made a decision. Last night, the mayor uh, was at the annual goal, uh, which is Gay Officers Association League uh, dinner. Uh, naturally, with all the news, I don't think this was resolved. So it's still in limbo. What is the mayor going to do? Will he march? Will he not march? There's going to be a lot of pressure to march uh, to show solidarity against Clarence Thomas uh, because of uh, the killings of gays and lesbians in Norway. But then again, will they let uniformed police officers march in this year's parade tomorrow? Look, I, I am sure that the mayor is going to feel a lot of pressure to march because he has some some damage control to do, some, some repairing to do with that community. But I think the higher order of imperative is to be supportive of GLBT, LGBT officers. And I think what he should say is if if my employees don't get to march, then I don't march. I think that's the right thing to do, and he should stick to it. Now, this is a weird one because this is like two woke notions, you know, a gay pride parade and, well, they shouldn't have police officers. I think it's misplaced, to be honest. 
Yes. I think that it's 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 frankly an antiquated notion that the NYPD is all one thing. The NYPD has some officers that probably are not kind to the community, but they also have a lot of officers who are themselves gay. And also, I think that this is a moment where there's so much tension that having something that we can agree upon, meaning officers and the gay community can celebrate something together, would be salutary. And I think that if I were giving the mayor advice, I would say go to bat to get your officers in that parade. Well, he's got cover. Uh, remember, he initially criticized the decision but didn't make a decision whether to march or not march. Since Denver has rescinded uh, last year's uh, orders from the sponsoring agency of Denver Pride, uh, they, they welcome police in uniform now. San Francisco, it's like we say in Italian, mezzi, mezzi, poco, poco. They did the uh, King Solomon Act. Yeah, I, but I, if I'm the mayor, I say... I stand up for these folks. I do some kind of ceremony with them at the same time, with the, the gay officers and in uniform, and do some kind of ceremony with them before the start of the parade and say, listen, if they're not welcome, if you're going to exclude any New York City employees, I'm not going to be there. Now, aren't you surprised that this vast New York City press corps has not even brought up this subject that came to the we, – we actually talked about it more than a month ago. I am a little bit surprised, except we have just had a couple of weeks here of – New, crazy news, fire hose style. I mean, maybe it's just not seen as all that important an issue. I kind of tell you, this is more of Adam's strategy. He kicks the can, kicks the can, kicks the can, kicks the can. Hopefully that tough questions will get easier later on or they'll just go away. In this case, they're getting harder with each hour. We'll, you know, we'll find out about this time tomorrow. Oh, yeah, and remember, you don't want to miss it. In just a few hours, recovering from my concussion, I'll be back overnights, 12 to 6, and then all throughout the day tomorrow, and then we get closer and closer to um, the decision that the voters have to make uh, on primary day Tuesday. Unfortunately, Anthony, probably be a very low turnout. We'll see what happens. And it's not just the Republicans, Democrats as well. Early voting has already begun. Very dismal show up so far. Come on, get out and vote no matter who you are, no matter who you support. Vote! Vote!